Gilbert Gottfried. I'm here with my co-host Frank Santo Padre, and this is Gilbert and Frank's Colossal Obsessions. And we're once again recording at Nutmeg with our engineer, Frank Berteros. Colossal Obsessions. You have such a lilt in your voice. Yes. (laughs) I, I'm just impressed that it took you how, how many weeks to get uh, the name of this show down? No, it, it took me a few years. A couple. Yeah. Two, and a half, <laughs> yes. two and a half years. We're, we're grading on a curve. We actually have a guest for a mini episode this week, and it's somebody that I've known. I'm trying to get my headphones to fit my head. It's somebody I've known a very long time. Mr. Craig Shemin is here with us. That is me. Craigie. Frankie. It's so good to see you. How, how shall we introduce you? You are the president of the uh, uh, Jim Henson Legacy? That is correct. I'm also a freelance writer, producer, and uh, doer of things. You are a doer of things. You I are am. a former staff writer for the Muppets as I well. Am. You are the uh, the editor and the writer of the Muppets Character Encyclopedia. That is correct. Do we have this right? Yes, and That's... it's available wherever fine books about Muppets are sold. How long have you and I known each other? I think we met in a writing workshop in the 90s. We did. And I think uh, because people were writing scripts for either Seinfeld or Murphy Brown. That, right. that dates. <laughs> <laughs> you had to date us. Yeah. And one of the one of the instructors in that workshop was uh, was Suzanne Collins. Yes. Who has uh, become a... Uh, Wrote The Hunger Games. Become quite a success. And, yeah. the, and I, you remember one of the others was esteemed sitcom writer Lee Kalsheim. Lee Kalsheim, who wrote All in the Family. Yes. Yeah. And, and we, we would always talk about him because he had an eye patch on at the time and he looked like a pirate. <laughs> <laughs> what if Lee's listening to this? Well, hello, have, Lee. Have you considered that? I have. There's now, nothing wrong with looking like a pirate. Now, you uh, we had requests from our, from our listeners saying, when the hell are you people going to do something about the Muppets? So I said, okay, well, we'll get a Muppet expert in here. We just I just happen to know one. I know a few things about Muppets. Yeah. Now, you also had a recent uh, encounter with my co-host. Yes. Well, Gilbert and Dara brought the kids to one of the screenings. I do monthly screenings at the Museum of the Moving Image. We're about to open an exhibit there. And uh, I saw Gilbert and the kids and Dara come in. And I introduced myself. And I'm like, oh, I'm a friend of Frank Santa Padre's. And Gilbert said, I wasn't aware Frank had any friends. <laughs> That's not a bad impression. <laughs> and I did a few things yes. with the Muppets. Yeah, I, I actually uh, looked up your resume. Okay. He has a Muppet uh, resume? Yes. <laughs> you have your own page on the Muppet Wiki. Ooh. Wow, he doesn't know what that no, is. That, he doesn't no, know it, it sounds good. <laughs> it sounds obscene. Among other things, uh, you were on Sesame Street. Yes. You did an appearance. You played a guy... Denny the Distractor. Yes. Ooh. His only job was to be an annoying distraction to a game show contestant who was trying to accomplish something. And somehow they thought of me. How would they ever think of you? And on Muppets Tonight? I I win a date with Kermit. Yes. I win a date with Kermit the Frog. Kermit goes to pick up his date with a bouquet of flowers and... And Gilbert is the number one fan. Some comedy writers were sitting around saying, you know what would be funny? If Kermit's day turns out to be Gilbert Gottfried. <laughs> yes. I think that clip's available. Yes. I think that's I, on You that's, can see it on that's YouTube. That's online, yeah, on YouTube. Uh, you did a voice cameo on Bear in the Big Blue House. Oh, my God, yes. You did. Uh, you played a possum with Brad Garrett as the, the other possum. Wow. Do you remember that? That one, I remember the title, Bear in the 
Big Blue House, and I remember doing a voice for it. Brad Garrett, another guy he has not asked to do this show. (laughs) (laughs) And then the final one that I have on the list is a musical uh, excerpt, which I think we may be able to listen to. Did you bring your own clips? We brought clips. Now, this was uh, to set it up. Because that's what you do with a clip. Yeah. This is like the old Carson Uh, show. I'm so excited. The Muppets did did an album called Kermit Unpigged. And She Drives Me Crazy was the single off the album. So they did a a music video as as the Unpigged, as as in Unplugged. Yes. Right. That tells you when that was done. And (laughs) how long ago it was... Bruce Willis was still married to oh, Demi Moore. right, because they show up in the video. Do you remember who else shows up in that video? Oh, God. Bill Collins. Oh, David, yes. David Hasselhoff is in Hasselhoff's that video. Hasselhoff's in it. Conan. Bunch of people. Yeah, and we set up, uh, you know, a white thing in the, the uh, little studio that Henson uh, had over on the east side. Right. And one by one, we would bring in these celebrities to come in. You were present for this? I was. I was. And and Gilbert was one of them. Was this in the townhouse right on 68th Street? No, this was on the, the little, the Carriage House studio on 67th Street. Okay. I remember it being very hot that day. Yes. Yes. You remember that? I remember that. I remember going. He over remembers there, discomfort, and it was he yes. his character too. Yes, <laughs> that was, you took me to that townhouse. I had the street wrong. Yeah. It was 67th Street, yeah. and it, and there was there a spiral staircase. Well, there, there was a, there's the townhouse on 69th Street with the spiral. Oh, that's staircase, the one I'm thinking. Excuse the me, the one on 69th. Right, right. That was a treat. Yeah, and you you showed me Jim Henson's old office. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah that was great. She drives me crazy, <laughs> and <laughs> I can't help myself. Well, we actually we actually have the clip. This special pick is that's Paul Poundstone. You remember doing this? Oh, yes. But yes. this was one of your first big musical... Uh... Yeah, oh, yeah. And then I went on to be Tevian. <laughs> you even remember the characters you played Yeah. in this thing. Oh, yeah. And I remember uh, I, I did uh, the episode of uh, The Muppets of Sesame Street when the actor strike was going on because the actors were still allowed to do Sesame Street. Oh, yeah, I think they had, uh, a, uh, they had a separate deal. It was a separate contract. Yeah, and, and so they, that was yeah. the, and... And I should mention my wife who's here and there, Stephanie DeBruzzo. The lovely Stephanie DeBruzzo. She remembers you, you coming in with, with the, the kids and everything. It was a... Stephanie was wonderful in Avenue Q. She was. And I went three times. And I waited. My wife and I waited for her. I'm turning as I, I'm turning in my seat to wave to Stephanie. My wife and I waited for her at the backstage door. Is that what they call it? Yes. To uh, to to meet and greet. She was terrific. I hope she met you and greeted you. And, she and, did. Okay. Oh, 
and she and did. she was demonstrating her Johnny Mathis. <laughs> yeah, she did a yeah. To us. Wait, she did she did a killer Johnny Mathis for us in the hallway before we turned the mics on. Now tell us a little bit before we get into to Jim Henson and his history and his and and the legacy. How did you become a, a Henson slash Muppet person in the first place? Well, I was a Muppet fan. I mm-hmm. came into it from being a fan, and. Um, I was in college trying to figure out what to do with my life. And uh, I happened to see a Henson documentary on TV. And I said, well, gee, I wonder if they do internships. And I called up the next day and got myself uh, an interview to come in during spring break. And I ended up being an intern at the Henson Company. And then I started uh, full-time for them soon after graduation. Mm -hmm. But I remember that when I was an intern, that's when I met Jim Henson. It was the company softball game. Oh, that's where you met him. Yeah, yeah. He uh, didn't know who I was, so he came up and started a conversation because he knew everyone else. Right. He was such such a nice man. And he borrowed my baseball glove for the game and uh, had him sign it afterwards. So I think I have uh, the only game-used Jim Henson baseball glove. You still have it. I still now, have it. Wow. Jim Henson one of those people who uh, didn't believe in doctors or medicine? Well, he— came from a Christian science family, but he, he was not that uh, adamant about it. He was, uh, you know, there were, he, um, you know, he had doctors. He, he saw doctors. It was just uh, an unfortunate confluence of events uh, when he died because he had, uh, he was a guy who didn't get sick a lot. And he had a, um, a strep pneumonia that was so fast moving that, it just came on all of a sudden, and you know uh, he didn't really think he was as sick as he was getting. And then by the time he realized how sick he was, it was uh, too late. Tragic. We will return to Gilbert Gottfried's amazing colossal podcast after this. And now back to the show. And didn't I'm, I'm piecing this together from memory, and I'm trying to remember the townhouse on Ninth on 69th Street. Didn't wasn't there an, an attempt made or an effort made to preserve the office as? As was, as Jim had left it, well, there and was, not to disturb it. Well, it, you know, for years it was pretty much that that office was pretty much the way he left it. And I think for a brief time, uh, you know, the Jim Henson legacy and the family, we looked into turning that building into a museum. Right. And uh, we did studies. We had uh, things made. But it was uh, – the situation was that we uh, – the building is relatively small. It's a New York townhouse. So – the studies came back that we would not be able to get enough traffic through the building to get enough revenue to make it uh, going I as, see. A, as an ongoing And so they wound operation. up so- selling the property eventually. They sold the property. The Henson Company is now based in Long Island City and on the old Chaplin Studio lot in sure, LA. Sure, sure. Now, this like a million commercials and TV shows with puppets that look like the Muppets. And um, so obviously the influence or plagiarism is going on. And and now where did the style of the Muppets come from originally? Were they influenced well, by? Well, I think that Jim really uh, was influenced by uh, Disney a lot in terms of seeing the big uh, white eyes with the black pupils in, in the center of them. But he really developed his techniques a lot. He drew from a lot of things because— You know, in my school, there were a lot of black pupils. (laughs) You set him up. Yes. (laughs) Um, So when he was starting out, uh, you know, he sort of made two big 
uh, discoveries. One was that you didn't need a puppet stage if you were using the TV camera to you know, isolate the characters so the puppets could interact with humans. And then using the TV monitor, uh, you know, when you're a puppeteer and you're performing into a TV monitor, you can be the audience for your own performance. So you can instantly see what the audience at home is seeing. So you can, you know, move around, you can uh, compensate for things, you can look at the camera, you can know the timing is really precise. And that was sort of the, the two big, uh, really big revolutions in, in, in puppetry that he brought to television. Because yeah. he was not really a puppeteer. When Jim started, he was a high school kid. And he turned to puppetry just because he wanted to get into television. You know, he was fascinated oh, with television. Yeah, and he fa- he saw there was a uh, local TV station that wanted to use young puppeteers as part of a, a, a morning news show on the weekends they were doing. And James said, "Oh, they want to do puppeteers. I can get a, I can, you know, I can learn puppetry." And he got a couple of books out of the library, taught himself puppetry, built some puppets, and he got himself a job because he wanted to be around television. And this was 1955, so things were just. You know, starting out. When did he work with Stan Freeberg? You, you, we were talking on yeah. the phone about well, some of funny. his, his uh, early his early gigs. He actually never worked with him, but he he worked with him indirectly because uh, Jim's first TV show was this local uh, show called Salmon Friends for five minutes in Washington D.C. And he would lip sync to records, and he would lip sync to Bob and Ray records, and to uh, uh, and to Stan Freeberg. You know, basically, and they would just get the records from the record library. Uh, and just lip sync and come up with a little uh, sketch to do to the audio, and they didn't bother to get fr- uh, Stan's permission. Right. And then Stan heard you that these people, the and, yeah, he w- he heard that these people were uh, using it. And then when he came from D.C. and he went to the studio and visited, he really liked what they were doing. He's you know you can use my stuff anytime. And now, uh, you know, for years after that, uh, Freeberg took credit for uh, some of the Muppet success. Oh, did he? Oh, yeah. Oh. yeah. <laughs> How convenient. As did Steve Allen, who gave him the first primetime uh, uh, shot on, on TV. And Steve, we found out in talking to Carl Reiner that Steve uh, Allen was instrumental in the birth of the uh, 2,000-year-old man. He was the one that sent Mel Brooks and Reiner into the, oh, uh, yeah. to take the, yeah. they were doing it at parties. Steve Allen sort of the nexus of the he kind uh, show of is. business Now, universe. I remember uh, when I was a kid watching Ed Sullivan And the Muppets were, uh, you know, recurring guests on the Ed Sullivan show. But back then, they would do sketches, but there were no recognizable Muppets. There was no Kermit or Piggy. Uh, Kermit popped up in one or two, but what they did then was sort of these self-contained acts where they would have a beginning, middle, and end because it it was – you know, they needed to have something that didn't rely on you having seen them before. And they did 25 appearances on uh, Sullivan. And Sullivan would always, you know, mess up their introductions. And Yeah. Uh, I remember. You know, as, I remember. Yeah. And this is this is before Sesame Street. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and other variety shows, too. Yeah. Is it Jimmy Dean? Jimmy comes Dean. To that mind? was the first time that the Muppets had, like, a regular character. Rolf the dog was uh, Jimmy Dean's uh, hound dog buddy. Do you remember Jimmy Dean? The, 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 he oh, became yeah. the sausage guy, yeah. but he was a big bad John. He it, had a, he had a variety show. It's so funny to think. That it's like to this day when I think of Jimmy Dean, I always think now I know he was in show business before <laughs> making guys. sausages. <laughs> yeah, 
I know that they. <laughs> yeah. No, he did. He uh, he had a great uh, bit with Rolf every week, and he really made Rolf real. You know, he knew how to interact with him. And, you know, I heard stories from Jane Henson that, you know, one day Jimmy Dean, uh, you know, asked Jim. He came to Jim with an investment opportunity, and it was the sausage company. Really? Yeah. Oh, that's so cool. And uh, Jim passed on it because he really, you know, he he didn't know anything about sausage. Oh, geez. What were some of the other variety shows? Well, I mean, uh, Sullivan, Jimmy Dean, he did uh, Al Hurt, the the musician. Al Hurt, the trumpet player, had had a variety show show? Fanfare. Um, I did not know yeah. that. Herb Alpert did a, sh- a sure. show. Sure. Uh, the Hollywood Palace. They did oh, a show. Oh, I remember Hollywood, Hollywood Palace. Remember Hollywood Palace oh, on Saturday sure. night? That yeah. was the show that rose out of the ashes of uh, the Jerry Lewis show, I think, because they had gotten the. Um, oh, the three hour yeah, Jerry they, Lewis. Well, they had show. done all the renovations on the, the theater. Right. Which and, we uh, talked about with yeah. Tom Sharpling. Yes. The Jerry Lewis tile. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> if I remember Hollywood Palace correctly, it was sort of a precursor to SNL because it had a host. It yep. had a celebrity host every week. Mm-hmm. That's pretty much. Uh, yeah, yeah. I remember Adam West singing on there as Batman, yes. which you can see online. <laughs> his his hit, Miranda. Miranda, yeah. And I heard like a lot of the Muppets were based on real people. Well, there were a few. I mean, um, the one that I think of was uh, uh, Dr. Teeth was based on Dr. John. You know, at oh, least that's the, cool. The, the singing that makes voice sense. was not so much the the visual, sure, but uh, and uh, but a lot of the the characters, some of those ones that you see on Sesame Street, are based on on real people. So when does Jim kind of break in? He's he's starting to do local television, but mm-hmm. when does he kind of start breaking into the mainstream? I mean, these Jimmy Dean and and Hollywood Palace. This is the early sixties. Well, all that time, he was also doing experimental films. Right, and he know, did an Oscar. Commercials, lots of commercials, yeah. Right. Did an Oscar-nominated experimental film co- called Timepiece, which is really, really fun. I mean, it's, it's, it's really weird, but fun. And a lot of quick cutting and, um, and stuff. But I think it wasn't until Sesame Street that he really, you know, the Muppets became one of those overnight successes that took 15 years to Sure, to get sure. There. And the Muppets got more and more like adult. Like mm-hmm. you could watch it, no matter what your age. Yeah, what's interesting is that it started out as adult because the very first show, the Sam and Friends show, aired before the evening news in Washington and before the Tonight Show. So it had that grown-up thing. And then when Sesame Street came around, people thought that the Muppets were for children because all those years of doing Sullivan and those primetime shows, they weren't really doing stuff for for um, for kids. And then Sesame Street became got the Muppets known for being, um, you know, uh, performers for children. And so it, it, it made Jim struggle a little bit to get back to prime time. But that's one of the reasons that they did Saturday Night Live. They did a season on Saturday Night Live. Yeah, And, 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 and I a, think it was... Uh, uh, Phil O'Donohue. Now, Phil O'Donohue. Michael O'Donohue. Phil. No, yeah. No, no, <laughs> this was the one married. <laughs> you just came up with yeah. I would have watched they, that show. There was that Muppet <laughs> of Marlo Thomas. <laughs> that, hey, you see, you, Don't go there. Yes. <laughs> Phil O'Donohue. Do you know anything about Danny Thomas? <laughs> <laughs> I do know. I can tell you that neither Danny Thomas nor Cesar Romero ever did the Muppet. Okay. <laughs> You dodged that beautifully. Yeah, deflecting so, that before we get there. So Michael O'Donohue, he he said one of his famous lines that he said in a meeting at Saturday night was, 
I don't write for felt. Yes. <laughs> Shall we explain and, a little bit to and, our listeners and, who Michael O'Donoghue was? Yeah. Yeah, he was he was the very uh, well. How would you describe him? Acerbic. Acerbic is a great word. Yes, he was a lampoon editor and who became a writer at SNL and was famous for doing impressions of celebrities with their eyes gouged out by knitting needles. And I think at that time, also in uh, SNL, uh, Belushi referred to them as the mucking fuppets. The oh. mucking fuppets. Yeah, but well, if you read the early SNL books, uh, there's there's a lot of animosity. Well, the resentment about came the mu- about uh, the Muppets. From, the Muppets had a regular slot in the show, and everybody else had to sort of jockey f- to get their airtime. They had to write their own bits, and the Muppets had this regular slot. So there was animosity because they they weren't in the same uh, competitive circle. And I think a lot of it, you know, the Muppets ended up on SNL because of Bernie Brillstein. Bernie was Jim's manager, and he was the manager for a lot of talent. And he sort of packaged everything. Did together. you know that? That that's how that that's because uh, he because no. he, he handled Aykroyd and Belushi. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that's how they got on yeah. uh, on Saturday Night Live. And you and I were talking about who were the characters. Was it was it Scorch or? Well, it was the land of uh, Gorch. The land of Gorch. And there was Scred I haven't and seen those in years. King Plubus. <laughs> Although, although they must be, those shows must be intact from the first oh, yeah, season yeah. if you get them on if DVD. You, the DVD has all the Muppet segments on them. Right. And they, there was there was a lot of uh, there was a lot of bad feeling about them. But you told me on the phone that they were only too happy to leave. Yeah, because it was uh, while they were doing SNL is when they got the offer to do the Muppet show from uh, Lou Grade, who had um, his own uh, production entity in, in England. Right. You remember watching those? Oh, yeah. What was your feeling about those at the time? And I, 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 do, I don't want to offend, but I must say that I loved the early show, and I used to think that the Muppet segments kind of stopped the show in, in, in its tracks. Well, I think there were a couple of them that worked. You know, there was a great segment with uh, Scred and Lily Tomlin singing I Got You, Babe. I do remember that one. And I think when they were sort of more character-oriented like that, it worked. But yeah. uh, sometimes they made fun of it eventually because they actually did things where – uh, Chevy Chase would interact with them in their boxes backstage. I remember they would be that complaining they weren't on the show that week. And yeah, so so they found a way to work them in. Yeah, yeah. I think I like them a little bit more than the bees. <laughs> oh yes. <laughs> <laughs> so here's a fun thing. Oh, this is what I wanted to ask you about Sesame Street. We were talking on the phone, and Jim was the original. Was he the original Ernie? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And Carol Spinney was always Big Bird. Carol Spinney was always Big Bird, and. How did he feel about the fact that he wanted to break into television? He was he had designed these characters that, as you say, were kind of adult, and the big, big breakthrough happened on a children's show. Well, I think that um, he was very proud of the work he was doing on Sesame Street. And I think the only time there was any frustration was that during that time they did a few primetime specials. They did Muppet Valentine's show. They did a show. This will give you an idea of how – Jim wanted to be known in prime time. They did a show called Sex and Violence with the Muppets. And, um, you know, these were half-hour prime time specials that were kind of like what the um, Muppet show ended up becoming. And, so, oh, yeah. go ahead. No, no, I was just saying that the, that was really what Jim was trying to do while doing Sesame Street. But, you know, he he never stopped doing Sesame Street. You know, he would, it took a different, uh, you know, amount of time in his his life but sure uh, he stayed with it until until he passed away sure sure so what's big bird's name again carol carol spinney <clears throat> and so he was big bird when i was there yeah and so because i remember there's this. another puppeteer who does big bird uh, who, who sort of does big bird when carol's not available uh, matt bogle 
but uh, you know, Carol has been the primary big bird. Because I remember when I was there with the kids, I wanted to have a picture of them with Big Bird. And I said, well, I, I'm not going to take a picture when he's hanging <laughs> on the wall. And he got into costume. He put yeah. on the full costume just so he could take a picture. That's yeah. nice. No, he's a wonderful Do you guy. remember when you did it? Do you remember what year this uh, was? Yeah. It wasn't that long forget, ago. No, it wasn't the, that long. You had children at the time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, not mine. I just well, of found them <laughs> well, in a schoolyard. That goes without saying. <laughs> so Craig brought an- yet another clip. That he's going to, and we're gonna, we'll, we'll actually go out on it. But uh, this is fun, and we're gonna have to do a part two because we have, we have. I'm not gonna say it, Frank. Frank has gotten on my case for saying we barely scratched the surface during every interview. Yeah, no, not, he, he's, not, he's just he made a drinking game. Out he of made it. a drinking game out of it. So I'm not gonna say we, we, uh, that thing. I'm gonna say uh, uh, we've just about. <laughs> Do it, do it, do it, do it. We've barely gotten into it. Yes, and when we come back, and when uh, we come back, another another day. I have a game to play with you guys. You do? And, oh yeah. Okay. Lots of stuff. So we're gonna do a part two because we we have to get into the Muppet Show. We barely scratched the surface. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take my catchphrase. Yeah. We'll get into the Muppet Show. We'll get into the movies. We'll get into all kinds of other stuff. Uh, when we do a part two. But for this part one, Craig has brought us a little story and he has a, a clip that goes with it. Oh, okay. Well, a little story. And, but I, before I get into the story, I do yeah. want to mention that yeah. we are exhibit at oh, the Museum of the Moving Image. I opens the plug. July 22nd. Shame on me. And we do monthly screenings, so uh, check out the Museum That was the, the reason we image. timed it this yes. way. July 22nd at the, at yeah. the Museum and of the Moving Image. And if you're in image. Seattle, there's a... Uh, an exhibit at the Museum of Pop Culture now, and in Atlanta, there's an exhibit at the Center for Puppetry Arts. So our friend Howard Kalen, who's in Seattle, can go see that. What is that called? the the the, uh, the show at the Museum uh, at the Moving Image? Uh, it's called Jim Henson the Exhibition. Jim, what an original yeah. name! <laughs> so uh, a name who has come up on this show maybe once or twice. It's everybody's Uncle Milty. Uncle Milty. And the the backstory. And of this, what was the reason Milton Berle? I don't know. <laughs> I can't remember why his name and Danny Thomas's well, name. Well, Danny Thomas, there was something about scratching a surface. Yeah. <laughs> Which you I don't know about Milty. Milty, I think, scratched many surfaces. He might have scratched a few surfaces. Some um, poor mica. Milton was a, a guest star on The Muppet Show. And um, while Jim always wanted the guest stars to try new things, Milton didn't always try new things. He liked things the way they were. So uh, we have a little clip uh Joe Bailey, who's one of the writers on The Muppet Show, who mm-hmm. has a book out called uh, Memoirs of a Muppet Writer. Okay. I told him I'd plug the book. Plug Joe's book. And um, Joe recorded with a little, uh, you know, audio audio cassette recorder this meeting of Milton Berle and The Muppet Show writers. Did Milty know he was being recorded? Yes, I think so because, <laughs> okay. uh, you know, when you listen to – I put together a little excerpt. When you listen to the whole thing, there's a couple of points where he says, uh, turn that off or, or something like that. So I think that – he knew that, uh, you know, he, he knew he was being recorded. Okay, so we'll go out on the clip, and this is Uncle Milty being being recorded, not not secretly. Yes, but at, he's at sort the, of telling a, a room full of experienced comedy writers their business. Okay, so we'll go, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll take us out on the clip, so. Okay, so this has been Gilbert and Frank's Amazing Colossal Obsessions. That's it, with Craig Shemin, Muppet expert, and we'll do a part two very soon. Thank you, Craig. It has been a joy and a pleasure. The joy was ours. 
So you did the Uncle Milty, Uncle Sammy thing up there. Well, that, 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 that's but new. That's, that's, that's new. That's never been done. Ah, okay. Uncle okay. Milty makes it. Uncle Sammy takes it. Right. Talk about your book. Yeah, my book. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll have... Uh, is it true, Mr. Burrell, that uh, you wrote an autobiography of your life? Yes, yes. I'll say it. So it's fifth printing. I'd have to take the whole joke myself. They can't feel me. The first four were blurred. And one thing I'd like you to try to do for me, seriously, to time your laugh track when you feed, trust me, <laughs> trust me to have the next line. Right. Because I'll give the beat. I say, yeah, they were, the first four were blurred. Next question, so you can lay it in, because they might say, the first four were blurred. Is it true then? And you will be able to lay it in. Yeah. They can only laugh for four and a half seconds. And that's the one I started on. Two, three, four. I started that back in 1948. Uh -huh. Two, three, four. To ourselves, I used to tell every actor. That's what Bob does. You work for Hope. He says, will you wait? And Bob always has the next line. You ever work for Jack Benny? You ever see Benny's script? Benny has the next line, and he will never trust anybody. For example, when he says, uh, your money or your life, yeah. that's the biggest joke, right? Sure. Your money or your life. But he stood. And the next line is say, well, Bert says, well, well. And his joke is, I'm thinking, I'm thinking, right? Before he said, well, well. He had to make a sound to give him the cue. Because he timed that for 35 seconds. That's how big the laugh. Oh, yeah. The money or your life. And he went. That's <laughs> it. Was, and he went to it was like a this building to the laugh. Session.